Good evening. I'm here today um, doing a review because Van Moschutren uh, had a hip replacement on one side and she's doing very, very well. Um, the physiotherapist yesterday was very surprised after three days after the surgery um, that she could walk already so perfectly. So she has a lot of um, positive, um, yeah, po a, a, a very good positive attitude towards that and as a really good model for us how to deal with um, aging and sickness. <laughs> yeah, that um, leads us into something I would like for our motivation to share. I shared that already with some of the residents um, uh, in a morning meeting. So when I was children, before she had the surgery on Monday, for several days, maybe weeks, um, she prepared herself. She read everything she could read about the procedure. Um, she watched videos even about the surgery itself. Um, she talked with people who had um, the same experience of a hip replacement. She received training, requested training from our um, yeah, nurse practitioner, Vama Topenjigma. So we um, did practices how to walk and how to go um, to the bathroom, take a shower and all these things. So every step has been prepared for pre-surgery, during the surgery and after the surgery. So Vanama Schutran's mind has been excellently prepared for that um, whole project, so to say. She told me three days ago um, when I was helping her out uh, that she, what she actually did, what she watched and with whom she talked um, about that surgery. And um, it dawned on me that how we should approach our dharma practice as well. How should we should approach our mind training? So we train our mind through meditation and through thinking and focusing on the topics again and again. Then we are actually walking the path in our mind. We know what to do, what to expect. And then in reality, in daily life, we are actually able to perform what we have trained our mind in. And from a scientific perspective, if you want to uh, approach it like that, to gain a, a different perspective on how to approach that, is mm, the theory of mirror neurons. These are type of brain cells that respond equally when we perform an action. And when we witness someone else perform the same action. So, um, for example, in the 90s, they uh, experienced uh, um, these with brains of monkeys that uh, fired, the neurons fired both when the monkeys grabbed an object and also when the monkeys watched another primate grab the same object. So in the same way, when we are watching um, or listening, reading and imagining um, the upcoming action, uh, certain um, neurons are motivated and even I heard many years ago 
football players are using that method. So they watch the game um, before they are playing, they're on rules, and they measure that the muscles are activated while they are watching. So in a way, they train themselves um, beforehand. So we can do that too, um, so meditating, so analyzing and focusing on what we have analyzed to gain deep, deep insight and deep imprints in our mind. Um, and then spontaneously, when we are in our day-to-day -day life, we will be able to benefit others. It's not just a theory, it's um, not just a game we will spontaneously um, act with compassion or have an insight, um, see things uh, from a more subtle perspective, more as impermanent, transient, or dependent, or empty. So maybe today, um, listen to the teachings with that kind of approach to prepare our minds for uh, more big transformation. We have to go step by step. And this small review tonight is just a very short one of 40 minutes because the Sulinas the Dalai Lama is teaching tonight um, can still be um, a stepping stone into the right direction. So maybe make use of it for our own benefit and for the benefit of others to attain our highest goal, Buddhahood. Okay, uh, yeah, 40 minutes is not a long time to <laughs> go through something. Um, I had the idea, I got asked to go through chapter one, but um, I choose to just focus on the four seals. And I will ask the residents and maybe even uh, the online uh, participants to be part of it. You know, I have prepared, basically I, I summarize what we have learned and how I basically made use of it and then I will ask you a question basically to summarize yourself what you have um, uh, yeah, heard this evening or remember from your own um, studies and practices. All right, the four seals. Um, the four seals is the basis of all explanations given in Buddhism. Um, so the four seals, these are the so-called four summaries of the teachings and are closely related to the Four Noble Truths, and they are another way of, of expressing it. These four seals, on which all the explanation in Buddhism are based, first, all conditioned phenomena are transient or impermanent, all polluted phenomena are dukkha or unsatisfactory in nature, all phenomena are empty and selfless, and nirvana is true peace. So people like accepting the four seals um, are considered Buddhist, um, first by view, and second, um, um, those accepting the three jewels as their ultimate resource, uh, source of refuge are considered Buddhist by conduct. So as a brief summary, um, the four seals are basically the first one, all conditioned phenomena are transient or impermanent. So they're changed in our life constantly, subtle change cause changes. And the Buddha said, there's nothing that does not change. Impermanence is also an opportunity, an opportunity for us. It gives us the opportunity for change, positive change. We can progress on the path, we can learn. 
The second um, of the four seals is all polluted phenomena are to God unsatisfactory by nature. So there are three kinds of suffering. Um, the all-pervasive suffering or basic suffering, then the um, suffering or dukkha of change and the dukkha of dukkha or suffering from suffering. Then the third one is phenomena are empty and selfless, so um, or no self emptiness. And emptiness is like things do not exist permanently, partless, uh, independent. And self, there's no permanent, partless, independent self. So we will go into that. I just want to briefly um, mention what they entail. And then liberation, the path um, of true peace, is the fruit of our spiritual um, effort. Liberation can come from karma through overcoming attachment, anger, ignorance, for example. All right, let's go into the first one. Speeding through, basically, <laughs> all conditioned um, things, products are transient or impermanent. Our first impression is that we, when we see things or experience events in life, um, that they are permanently, they seem to exist forever, unchangingly. For example, a country, in Europe we have this beautiful, <laughs> or this uh, matter of what you want to see beautiful, these old castles <laughs> that can be hundreds or thousands of years old or old towns you know made of big stones heavy stones we think these things exist forever uh, and will continue to exist this way in the future or even in everyday life um, uh, let's take this microphone or the room we are in or our robes yeah, that we are wearing or the carpet we are sitting on or even the political situation in our country our first perception is of something inherent, permanent, existing. But as soon as this microphone um, yeah, uh, gets produced, <laughs> uh, put together, it starts to disintegrate, as some of our um, tech team members know <laughs> from experience. <laughs> um, the reason for it is that it's existing to the different parts. Everything that is composed of different parts must have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And the same occurs with uh, government in a country. Right? It's starting, uh, it has a period of functioning, and then it will finish. Even if things exist since hundreds or even thousands of years, such as castles, these many years exist due to single years. And the years exist of months, the months of days, the days of hours, and the hours of minutes, and the minutes of seconds. So in seconds too are collections of small moments. A moment exists only momentarily and vanishes in the next. So all things exist in this way. Everything what's surrounding us, all products, everything that has causes and conditions exists in a momentary way. They are not even for two moments identical. And therefore the first seal is all conditioned things, products are transient. And this transience happens momentarily. Um, but for our eyes, not necessarily visible. Therefore, we don't recognize immediately the process of aging, for example. <laughs> it's a gradual process. Transience uh, has also positive effects um, because we change, we can learn, improve our behavior, right? Because things are impermanent, we can change negative situations into positive ones. And through the recognition of impermanence, we lose our uh, attachment to things or grasping. We accept that change is part of our life and uh, what will make us happier even in this life. 
So impermanence is our very, very nature, and therefore in a positive note, um, as things are not fixed, we can change, eliminate afflictions. If we really take responsibility for causes we create, we can transform our life uh, and attain high states of realizations. Nothing lost, knowing this makes our life easier. <laughs> when things change, we don't freak out. All right, um, now I ask you to summarize the important aspects of impermanence <laughs> and don't forget the positive sides. Please go ahead and if online want to participate, please do. <laughs> I would like ask you to summarize what I have shared or what you have learned and also point out what are the positive effects of um, the first seal. Yes, Ramonima, thank you for being brave. <laughs> so when I, um, when I, uh, a strong affliction arises, I know it's not going to be with me for forever. It's going to um, end, it's going to come to an end, it's going to change moment by moment. And if I can uh, use tools to work with it, I can reduce its intensity. I kind of try to um, get out of the affliction mode more quickly. So that's an important aspect of mm -hmm. of impermanence that works to our benefit when we are trying to um, work with afflictions. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I was thinking of something similar that no matter what's going on in the mind, um, relying on the understanding that the mind's the creator of our happiness and suffering, then we can change our mind. That's, I think, one of the greatest... Um, assets of recognizing that the mind is impermanent is that in any moment we can stop whatever it's focusing on and, and orient our attention to something virtuous, something positive, and um, get back on track. On Yeah, so it's similar to what Venable mm -hmm. Nemo was saying. But to summarize a little bit going from there, whether we catch our mind and change it and, and deliberately take it into a different direction or not, it will still be constantly changing moment by moment. Um, so we do have uh, the possibility to direct it in one way or another, but the mind is constant is part of the essence of this seal is that our, the mind, like all conditioned phenomena, is changing moment by moment by moment, whether we're aware of it or not, and whether we deliberately do anything about it or not. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm from online. It says, all things arise and fall away. It's a reflection of nature, just like ourselves. The weather is not constant. Our mountains are not constant. Space-time itself is relative and changes by perspective. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right. So in, um, in the book, Foundation of Buddhist Practice, on page nine, um, kind of summarizing it too, it says, while the direct and complete antidote to attachment is the realization of selflessness, an understanding of impermanence will prepare our mind to gain insight into the meaning of selflessness. But understanding impermanence will not harm beneficial qualities such as love, compassion and altruism, because those emotions are not based on unrealistic grasping impermanent things to be permanent. 
Contemplating impermanence gives us confidence that our disturbing emotional habits can change and that excellent qualities can grow in us. Okay, continue. Um, the second seal is all polluted phenomena are dukkha. All polluted phenomena are dukkha or suffering. All things we experience and that are combined with the afflictions such as attachment, anger, ignorance are polluted and therefore suffering. Often things, especially sensory objects, appear to us very attractive as if they could satisfy all our desires. Accordingly, we strive for these things, be it our own body, the body of another person or any other object. When we take possessions of these things at the moment, they seem to fully satisfy our desire. And when we take possessions of these things, then at that moment they seem to yeah, then um, at moment they seem to fully satisfy our desires, but we know that this state does not last long. The disadvantages of these properties soon become apparent, and we wish for something better. <laughs> Next year, we need something new again as the old object no longer um, corresponds to the newest fashion. So we chase constantly after objects our whole life till we die as um, they don't really fulfill our wishes. They also cause difficulties, things break or relationships and for example. And therefore, it says that all polluted phenomena are dukkha. So dukkha can be divided into three kinds. What are they? Yeah, dukkha of pain, dukkha of change, and pervasive condition, dukkha. Okay, the first dukkha, dukkha of pain, it's obvious, such as physical, mental pain. All humans experience these four kinds of suffering dukkha. What are these? Four kinds of suffering of pain. Nope. Nope. <laughs> and letting you participate. <laughs> you can say four ways how we experience pain, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. Birth, aging, sickness, death. <laughs> Just that. There's, it's, it's listed in so many ways because it's really hard for us to get this, right? Mm -hmm. um, but if you're going to list birth, aging, sickness, and death, then we also look at, say, maybe the eight sufferings of human beings. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, we have only 25 minutes left. Yeah. Hey, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or the six sufferings of psychic existence in general, which is where I was going. So, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, completely right. Mm -hmm. that, that our um, things are changing constantly. There's no stability anywhere, and that we're constantly mm -hmm. uh, our minds are never satisfied. Those kinds of things also fall into that. Yeah. So everybody here has certainly experienced, um, certainly experienced um, um, all of these. Not deaf yet, but you have lost somebody in your life. Um, and the second of the Four Noble Truths, the, the Buddha is teaching us to recognize the causes of suffering in order to gain freedom from it. Um, then the suffering of change, we get a new object and we think um, this will make us happy, a new project or praise, for example. But all of this is under the influence of change as well. It will not last, the object, the praise, 
whatever, nothing. The Buddha is teaching us now a way to freedom, to find the way out of the solution, um, because the solution, the ignorance we have, the unrealistic expectations um, are what lead us to disappointment. We are like Shotan who grasp a castle of sand at the shore of an ocean, or at an ocean. <laughs> With the next wave, the castle of sand will be washed away. So when we were children, we could observe that, right? And after a certain while, we kind of expect that the castle will be washed away. That's exactly what the Buddha is trying to teach us. Um, the third suffering. So everybody suffers. Um, dukkha means frustration, dissatisfaction. We have the feeling that something is not quite right. Um, things are not reliable, such as an election. Uh, things do not function as we expect them to. Um, so we constantly are frustrated, just briefly. <laughs> um, for you, a question. Uh, please explain to me, to us, the three kinds of dukkha, briefly, and use examples from your own life. Dukkha of pain is physical pain that you might have, like from uh, cutting yourself with a knife or just having a body that ages and has physical pain. And uh, dukkha change could be the great mood I was in that just went south <laughs> because uh, feelings are so impermanent and so are those emotions that flow from them. And then the, the for me, the one that's most salient, the way I think of the dukkha of all pervasive conditioning is that just in any moment, life can change on a dime and your whole life can be turned around. For instance, you can be driving into Newport and get hit head on and your whole life will change. Or you can walk through this door here and have an aneurysm burst in your head and your whole life will be changed. And so we just are under the influence of our karma and our afflictions. And without, um, yeah, with just the slightest change of circumstances, everything that we're experiencing now can be completely different. And we meet people in our lives like this all the time. You're stacking wood in, the, mm -hmm. in a building and you get clobbered with a log. Or the guy I met at um, in Olympia who uh, used to run this when Expressos first came in. He ran an espresso shop. This guy used to be brilliant, mm -hmm. absolutely brilliant, but he got in like a car accident or something and he was brain injured. And so he spent the rest of his life not being this brilliant person, but just mm -hmm. being a kind of more average person. Yeah. The first kind is when you contact coronavirus. Mm -hmm. The second kind is you get the vaccine and you recover. And the third one is you have a body and that is subjected to this kind of situation. Mm -hmm. All right, because of the shortness of time, let's speed forward. <laughs> okay, the first two seals are related. Now that things are transient, we recognize that phenomena are unsatisfactory in nature. They can't provide us lasting happiness. So third seal is all phenomena are empty and selfless. So all phenomena are empty. Empty means that all phenomena are free of a self. 
um, that we formally believe um, to have three characteristics that are or permanent, partless, independent of causes and conditions. So if we are coming in contact with objects regular, unlike regular people like myself experience negative mental states in form of afflictions, such as attachment, anger, may arise. All those afflictions are based on an illusion on ignorance, not knowing how things really exist. In our ignorance, we give objects an inherent uh, or existence a self that they don't have. Also, there are non-Buddhist schools who say that a person has these three characteristics, permanent, partless, and independent from causes and conditions. They believe there is a self that exists in and of itself, but Buddhists reject this view. They say that a person is empty of a self. In this context, persons and phenomena are empty. I found a very beautiful um, description uh, by Tichnatan that um, describes that quite poetically. wanted to share it with you. If you're a po poet, he's saying, you will clearly see that there's a cloud floating in this piece of paper, maybe, <laughs> of the book. Without a cloud, there would be no rain. Without rain, the trees cannot grow. And without trees, you cannot make paper. The cloud is required for the paper to exist. If the cloud isn't there, the sheet of paper isn't there either. So we can say that the cloud and the paper are interbeing. That's his description, or inter are, he sometimes uses. If we look more closely at this piece of paper, we can see the sunshine in it. If there is a sunshine, the forest cannot, if there is no sunshine, the forest cannot grow, then nothing can grow. Even we cannot grow without sunshine. Hence, we know that the sunshine is also in this sheet of paper in the book. For example, paper and sunshine are in the R. And if we go further in our contemplation, we can see the lumberjack who cut the tree down and brought it to the sawmill to be turned into paper. And we see the wheat because we know that the woodcutter could not live without his bread. That is why the wheat that became his bread is also in this piece of paper. The woodcutter's father and mother are also in this piece of paper. If we look like that, we see that without all these things, this piece of paper would not exist. I can just say that's just beautiful to go through the world like that. <laughs> all right, um, the second uh, is all phenomena are selfless. When we say all phenomena are empty of a self, of a permanent, partless, independent self, then we refer to a self how it's described in non-Buddhist philosophy. But when we say all phenomena are selfless, we refer not to a philosophical um, belief, but how the I naturally occurs. It seems that our person, the self, exists separately from body and mind, substantially inherently existent. This view is not based on philosophical um, view, but occurs innately within us. There's a description that I couldn't recall, um, like born, we are born with it. 
not so phys- um, philosophical view, it's not adapted, innate, yeah, it's innate. In fact, all phenomena are empty, empty of a self, means they don't exist self-sufficient substantially. Everything exists in dependence on a variety of causes, conditions, uh, parts and labeling. Everything, objects or the person oneself. But we do not realize this in reality. Our consciousness is polluted with ignorance, illusions. And we do not even know all the details of our own language, um, like grammatics, vocabulary and such. So you may experience that in your own life. And this is just a superficial knowledge, right? And we do now even less how the ultimate reality of phenomena exists, inclusive our own person. Therefore, we attach to our own person, to other people, objects, uh, self-sufficient, substantially existent self. That's the level of our ignorance. And based on that affliction, such as anger or attachment arise. So therefore, I thought um, we will um, use this time now to do a very, very brief meditation. Uh, it's not um, sophisticated. It's just um, I'm reading something and you just follow your, with your imaginary mind uh, along. Just close your eyes so that you have a little bit of a physical experience of it. First an entry. If you examine emotions such as attachment and anger, we see that they are rooted in grasping at inherent existence. The stronger our grasping at an independent I, the stronger our attachment to the concerns of that self. We cling to whatever is seen as impermanent to the self and are hostile towards whatever impedes fulfilling its interests. For example, we may hold on to the position of being a president Behind the labeling, I'm the president, is the belief in a self whose happiness is extremely important. If someone else then takes the position, we become angry because the happiness of this I has been adversely affected. Okay, take, for example, the head of a government of a particular country, such as the US. And think about a possible future Mr. Biden as a president. He is depending on the designation made by the people of this country. The basis exists long before this person becomes the head of the government means he has his body and mind with the different qualities, but he is not yet a head of the government. Only when he has won an election and is legally appointed will he be named and accepted by the people as head of the government and will exercise this function. This example also makes it clear that phenomena do not exist from their own side. 
independently, regardless of the name, the concept that we add. Only by name or thought do phenomena come about and fulfill their functions. If this person were inherently head of the government on his part, he should have been one from the beginning on. He should have been born as such, which is obviously not the case. Only because the designation by the convention will he become the head of a government. And this is how all phenomena exist. Our perception however, does not take this fact into account. It appears to us that we perceive things and judge them as if they existed completely from their side, regardless of the name. And realizing this, we can eliminate all pollutions in our mind, all the wrong views, and attain nirvana, true peace. Our next point, to renounce all sufferings, particularly self-grasping ignorance, which is the root cause of all miseries. Let's speed into the force here. Um, nirvana is true peace. So nirvana is the complete elimination of all pollutions of our mind, means all causes of dukkha, such as attachment, hatred, ignorance with their seeds. We attain nirvana through the path of meditation. The path to liberation is called the five paths, path of accumulation, of preparation, of seeing, meditation, and no more learning. The path of accumulation and preparation is still polluted. With the path of seeing, we attain direct realization of emptiness, emptiness and generate ultimate bodhicitta. Everybody has the potential to become a Buddha. Free from all afflictions and ignorance, everybody can attain nirvana through peace. How? Through the help of Dharma. <laughs> the words of the Buddha and the experiential Dharma means insight and ethical results of practicing the Dharma. The words of the Buddha are basically contained in three baskets. What are these? The Sutra, the Vinaya and the Abhidharma, yeah. And what entails the experiential Dharma?
Mm-hmm. Or we could say ethic, concentration and wisdom. Kind of summarizing um, this section on page 12, um, His Holiness is saying, according to the Prasangikas, ignorance is not simply a state of unknowing. It actively grasps or conceives things to exist in a way that they do not. Superimposing inherent existence on persons' phenomena, it apprehends what is contrary to reality. Whereas persons and phenomena do not exist inherently under their own power, ignorance grasps them as existence, existing in that way. As we investigate how phenomena actually exist, our conviction that ignorance is erroneous increases. By seeing and familiarizing ourselves with the wisdom knowing reality, we gradually erode the force of ignorance and the undisciplined mind. When the cause, ignorance, is completely uprooted by its counterforce, wisdom, its resultant dukkha is likewise extinguished. This state of freedom is nirvana, lasting peace through happiness. Therefore, the fourth seal of Buddhism is that nirvana is true peace. That's a speedy process for the four seals with a very speedy, not to be copied length meditation on it. But you got the flavor how it could look like. So if there's any comment you would, what I missed, you think, um, please share so that um, we are not misleading our online participants <laughs> in anything. Uh, otherwise, we will close the session um, with a dedication so that we can be in time for His Holiness's online teaching that you will find on dalalama.org.